Hi, I'm Pastor Michael. Um, we're doing a sermon series on the attributes of God. We are in the middle of this pandemic, and it's a catastrophe on a worldwide scale. And it doesn't seem to be getting better. And so the question that we've been asking is, where is God in all of this? What is he up to? And so we have been meditating on the doctrine of God. And we have been looking at the Bible because the God of the Bible is so much greater than our imaginations. He is so much grander than anything that we could imagine for ourselves. He is full of glory and splendor. And in the end, that's what we need. We don't ultimately need um, answers or explanations of what is going on. We need to know that he's there and that he's with us. And so today we're going to look at the omnipresence of God Uh, The word omni there means all. So the omnipresence of God is that God is present everywhere. And there is nowhere that you can run away from God. There's no place you can go to where God is not there. And so with that in mind, we're going to read our text. This is Psalm 139. It's a really beautiful, majestic psalm. We're just going to read the first half, the first 12 verses But I really encourage you to read the whole psalm on your own at home later on today and just soak in the words and the language. But let me read to you, um, starting in verse 1. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, or even even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. This is the word of God. So I have four points, and this is going to be uh, the outline of the sermon. Number one, we're going to look at the general principle that God is present everywhere. Secondly, we're going to look at God's um, particular presence to the wicked and to the righteous. And then number three, we're going to look at the incarnation of God's presence. And then finally, we're going to close with some practical theology, practicing the presence of God. So let's begin. Number one, God is present everywhere. And I want to begin by focusing in on verse five. In verse five, the psalmist writes, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand 
upon me. So the word hem there is not my favorite translation. It's the Hebrew word tzor. And tzor means to encircle. It means to enclose. It's actually um, a military word, a military term to besiege, as in an army you know, surrounding a city. And so the psalmist here is giving us this rather graphic image of God just completely surrounding him, enveloping him. And the psalmist is saying, God is before me, he is behind me, he is all around me. What does this tell us? It's telling us that the presence and the reality of God is inescapable. There is nowhere that you can escape from the presence of God. And in verses 7 through 12, the psalmist explores that very possibility of escape, of running away in this really beautiful, poetic language. And he begins in verse 7. He says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? He says, if I should ascend up to the heavens, or if I should go down to Sheol, you are there. Even Sheol, where you would think God is not present, because the Hebrew word Sheol means the grave. And so the psalmist is saying, even if I should die, Lord, you are there. And we'll talk about that more later. What does that mean? That that even after we die, God is there. He says, if I should take the wings of the morning and go to the uttermost reaches of the sea, which to to land-loving Jews is the most remote, the most uh, faraway place that they could think of, God is no less a reality. So this is the doctrine of God's omnipresence, which says that God is present all throughout his creation. So that there is no place, there is no where that you can uh, go to where God is not present. And the reason for this is because of his divine nature. Because God is divine, he is infinite. He is without limits. And he is not limited by physical space. See, you and I, we are limited by space. You and I and all creatures, we are physically bound um, beings. And we are, we are constrained, we are restricted to one space at a time. So right now, I'm in this room, okay, in the Three Chapels, uh, uh, Three Crosses Chapel, and I cannot therefore be in any other room. Some of you are saying, well, you know, what about the live stream, right? Aren't you, you know, sort of projecting yourself through the internet? We'll get to that in a moment. But in a very real and in a true sense, I am bound to this room. And I can leave this room and go to another room, but I, ha- I would have to go, you know, into my car and spend time and energy, and I would have to travel through space to enter into another room, But I cannot be in both rooms at the same time and in the same way because I am a physical being. But God is not bound by physicality. 
God is a spirit. In John 4, 24, Jesus tells the woman at the well, God is a spirit and you must worship him in spirit and in truth so that you don't have to go to Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem as if God were restricted to that uh, physical location to worship him, but you could worship him anywhere. God does not have a body, right? He doesn't have the limitations of a body and therefore God transcends space, just like he transcends time. If you'll remember in the last sermon, we talked about how God is eternal. God is not bound by time, right? He's not stuck in this present moment, like you and I are stuck. God doesn't have a past. He doesn't have a future. But all of time, all of time is simultaneously, vividly present to God, right? And so God is above time, but he is active. He is acting in all of time, all at once. And in the same way, God is above the physical universe, right? He's outside of it, but at the same time, he is present in every point of space. Maybe we think, okay, you know, we're trying to wrap our minds around this, around this, and we're saying, okay, so, so maybe God is everywhere in the same way that, you know, gas is sort of diffused throughout a room, right? So if I had a jar of gas and I would open up the lid of the jar, all the molecules of the gas would escape and, and spread out and fill the whole room so that it's in every part of the room. So, so is God like that, right? Is God sort of stretched out across all the expanses of the universe so that he's present? No. When theologians talk about God's omnipresence, they use um, a technical expression. They say that he is repletively present. The word replete means total fullness, And so what that means is that God, when God is present, he is completely, totally, fully present with all of his being at every point in space. Just like I am right now, fully present in this room. And maybe that's um, not the best example since I'm focusing on the camera, but if I could just break away for a moment. I am fully present present in this room. I'm absorbing everything. I'm, I'm fully concentrating. And in the same way, even more so, God is fully present with his full attention, his full being in this room right now, right here. And he is pr- fully present in every room of the world, including your own. And he is fully present at every point of space in the universe. No creature can do this. You know, through the internet, through the live stream, I can sort of project myself into your room, right? Into your living room. But of course, I'm not really there. I'm not fully present, maybe in the most attenuated way. And so sometimes people think, you know, that's what it means for God to be present. You know, God has sort of installed surveillance cameras all throughout the world, like the Truman Show. And then he's up there in heaven and he's watching all of this, you know, security camera footage on this giant screen TV. He's watching like a billion screens all at once. And that's how he's able to be present. No. God is fully present in this room, just as I am in this room. And God is fully present in your room, just as you are in your room. This is beyond 
human comprehension. This is why the psalmist says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And the Hebrew word there for wonderful means astounding. It means it's just overwhelming. Because let's think through the implications of this, right? If God is present everywhere all at once, that's his omnipresence, and God is present in every point of space all throughout time, right? All at once because he is eternal. That must mean that there is nothing God does not know so that he is omniscient. You see how all the attributes fit together. And so in verses 2 to 4, the psalmist says, God knows our comings and our goings. He knows when we sit down and when we rise up. He knows all the patterns, all the intimate details of our life. He knows what we are going to say even before we say it. God knows us fully, comprehensively, exhaustively. All of our secret thoughts are laid bare before him. There is nothing hidden from his sight. And I love the, uh, the way the psalmist puts it in verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you, O Lord. What does this mean? Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So the natural response to this, the natural response is anxiety. Because God's omnipresence feels threatening, right? It feels suffocating like this army besieging a city. In verse 5, again, the psalmist says, you hem me in behind me and before me. And the question is, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? We don't know. It's ambiguous. And so throughout the whole psalm, you, you, you get this sense of dread and apprehension. There's this tension of whether it is good or whether it is bad. That leads me to my second point, God's particular presence. I want you to know that God is not just present throughout the universe in general, but God is present in particular uh, with people in two ways. And so the first way is that God's presence is a terror to the wicked. In Proverbs 15, verse 3, it says, The eyes of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23, verse 24, Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. And so because God is present everywhere, every evil deed, every wicked thought is not done in some dark corner hidden away from God's sight. But all of human activity and all of human thought is done as if it were in the open, naked before the undying gaze of God. And therefore, there will be a reckoning. And all things will be brought to an account. And therefore, 
we can let go of our vengeance. Because when we've been wronged, right, when we have witnessed some great injustice, we are afraid that they're going to get away with it, that no one will bring them to justice. But the doctrine of God's omnipresence tells us there will be justice. And here we need to talk about the biblical doctrine of hell. And I want you to listen to me carefully. Hell is not the absence of God. Hell is the presence of God towards sinners. You know, we often hear people say, hell is the absence of God, and that is true in a certain sense, right? It's the absence of his love. It's the absence of his compassion and kindness, but it is the presence of his wrath, of his undying, unending, unquenchable anger towards sin. And so God is what makes hell, hell. Right? Hell is not ultimately about fire, it's about God. And the fire is, is a metaphor to describe the horror and the agony of falling into the hands of God. Listen to Revelation 6, 16. It's a particularly graphic passage of the end where it says that the wicked cried out to the mountains and the rocks saying, listen to this, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? And so, God is present. Not just all throughout creation and the universe, God is present in hell. And he will be present in hell forever and ever. There is no escape. The second way God is present in particular is that he is present with his people. And here I want to talk about God's intimate and loving presence because there's a difference between saying God is everywhere and saying God is here. And this is, where, this is how we can understand the great blessing in Numbers chapter 6. Right? This is that famous benediction. Listen to it now. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, which is just another way, way to say face. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So the Bible here um, speaks of God's presence as his face. Uh, the Hebrew language um, doesn't actually have abstract words, but instead it gives us these concrete word pictures so that God's presence is his face. It's the Hebrew word panim. Every time you see the word presence, in your English translation of the Old Testament, is actually the Hebrew word panim. So, for example, uh, Psalm 16, verse 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Literally, it says, in your face there is fullness of joy. And so this is very helpful, right? Because the face, the face is the window to the soul. The face is how you have access to someone's intimate thoughts and feelings, right? If I were to turn around right now and talk to you without showing you my face, it would feel very disconcerting and very disorienting, right? You wouldn't know 
how I feel towards you. Because the face is the place of intimacy and warmth. Right? Friends talk to each other face to face. And so this is the great promise of Scripture. Not wealth and prosperity, not health or romance. Those are all nice things. But the greatest treasure in this life is the face of God, is his presence. In Exodus chapter 33, there's a really interesting passage where um, Israel is in the wilderness and uh, they're about, they're at the very beginning of their journey to the promised land. And in verse, uh, verse 5, this is what God says. Listen to this. He says, you are a stiff-necked people and I will not go with you. But then he says this, but I will send an angel to go before you to drive out the Canaanites so that you might take possession of this rich land, this land flowing with milk and honey. Go, go without me. Do you know what God, I'm sorry, do you know what uh, Moses says in reply? Moses says, how can, oh Lord, how can we go if your face does not come with us? And then at the end of Moses' life, you know, um, this is um, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31. Uh, This is right before he dies, right before the, the people of Israel enter into the promised land. And his last words to the people are this. Listen to this, verse 8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not fear or be dismayed. Because when God is with you, there's no reason to be afraid. And you can face any trouble, any hardship in this life. One of my favorite, favorite lines in the Psalms is Psalms 56 verse 8. Listen to what it says. You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? You see, because God is with us, because he is always with us, whether we realize it or not, our sorrows never go unnoticed. So that every tear that we shed, every sleepless night of anxiety that we endure, God is with us. And he stores it up into his heart. And therefore, we never suffer alone. There's this um, wonderful song that uh, Johnny Erickson Tata sings. And every time I hear the song, I, I tear up because it's so beautiful. Especially if you know her backstory. Johnny Erickson Tata suffered a terrible ac- a diving accident when she was a teenager which rendered her a a quadriplegic, which means that she is paralyzed from the neck down. And her whole life has been filled with hardship and suffering and deep loneliness. And the opening, opening lines of the song go like this. Listen to this. I'm alone, yet not alone. God's delight that will guide me home with his love and tenderness, 
leading through the wilderness. And wherever I may roam, I'm alone, yet not alone. Everyone who follows Christ knows the truth of those words. That leads me to my third point, the incarnation of God's presence. And here, it could be such a long uh, discussion, but I'm going to make this very brief. Remember earlier I said that um, God's presence is a terror to the wicked. But of course, if we're honest with ourselves, the next question we should say is, then are we not also among the wicked? Romans 3.10 says, there is no one who is righteous. No, not even one. And therefore, how can we who are sinners stand before the face of a holy God? And the answer is the incarnation. Because in the incarnation, God clothed himself in humanity so that in Christ, he stands in our place. And on the cross, he took the punishment that we deserve. And that's the answer. That's the only way that God can draw near to us and shine his face upon us without destroying us is that in Christ, he had to perish on the cross. That's the gospel. I want to read to you uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, in closing of this point. It's an amazing verse. I wish I had time to really unpack it. Listen to this. For God who said, let light, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Last point, practicing the presence of God. Here I want to close with some practical theology. How do we experience the presence of God in our daily lives? One of my uh, favorite theologians is R.C. Sproul. And um, if you're familiar with his writings, you know he has this favorite expression, which is quorum deo. Quorum deo is a, a Latin phrase which means to live in the presence of God every day. And what R.C. Sproul means by this is that he says, you know, for most Christians, we live this bifurcated life, this split life, so that when we go to Sunday worship or, you know, when we read the Bible or pray, we think of that as entering into the presence of God. And we think of that as these sort of special moments in our lives. But for the rest of our lives, we live as if God is not really there. So that when we go to work, when we go to school, when we are with our friends, we live as practical atheists. But what would it mean if we really believed in the omnipresence of God? That he is always with us. That he is always listening. And he is always watching over us. Let me give you an analogy. Suppose for the next 24 hours, I were were to um, be with you and accompany you for the whole day. So whatever you do, wherever you go, I would be right there beside you, standing right next to you. How would you conduct yourself? I would imagine you would conduct yourself in a way that would please me, that, you would, that would, um, I would approve of. Because that's what relationships do. They change the way you live. The reason why I believe our lives are so weak the reason why our lives are so fragmented and we lack 
wholeness and integrity is because we don't live quorum Deo. We don't really believe that God is omnipresent. How do we get there? And um, how do we practice, you know, daily, not just Sunday mornings, the presence of God? And the answer is there's no magic formula. It's the answer the church has always taught us which is the ordinary means of grace, what we would call the disciplines of the Christian life. Those are you know, prayer, reading scripture, um, fellowship, uh, uh, witness, mercy, um, sacraments. You know, all of these things are disciplines of Christian living. And uh, the operative word there is discipline because it is effortful. It doesn't come automatically. There's a lot of studies uh, being done Uh, out there that show there has been a precipitous decline and collapse in the Christian disciplines. And frankly, a lot of it is the smartphone. Because we're so distracted, right? Because our minds are just so scattered and fragmented, we can't read the Bible longer than two minutes without becoming fatigued. And so all of these studies are showing that Christians today have stopped reading the Bible, they have stopped praying, they don't do these things anymore. And so this is why the American church is in serious decline, because we are spiritually dead. And I want to focus on one Christian um, discipline in particular, which is community. I think this is perhaps the greatest challenge facing our church today. There's a lot of um, preliminary surveys being done right now during the pandemic that shows that people feel more disconnected than ever before. And this is what the coronavirus has done to us, right? It's physically separated us. We can't be with each other. And what the church does best, which is gather people together, we can't do anymore. And so all we have left is, is we're watching the live stream. And, you know, please don't misunderstand me. I so, appreci- I so appreciate this technical marvel of the Internet. But I got to tell you, it is a thin, gruel substitute for the real thing. And according to these preliminary surveys, one-third of you have stopped watching. According to the surveys, these are Christians who are either members or regular attenders of their church before the pandemic, now one-third of them have stopped watching the live stream altogether. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense because there's no accountability. There's no one there to notice when you're missing. And it's so easy to channel surf. And some of you right now are on your smartphones and you're only listening to me half-distracted And I get it. I totally understand. I think this is the greatest challenge facing our church today. Because this pandemic is not ending anytime soon, and the problem is only going to get worse. I think this is where community groups are really so vital. And I know that many of you are not regularly participating in your community groups. But I think we need to go even smaller than community groups. 
I think this is where discipleship groups have a really important role to play. You know, these small little groups of four and five. I know of a couple of discipleship groups that formed anew, I mean, for the first time during this pandemic. I'm so glad. I'm so happy about that. But this is something that we're going to have to talk about together as a church during this pandemic. How do we hold on to each other? How do we encourage and challenge each other and press each other to know the Lord, to seek his presence, his face above all other things in this life? This whole world is competing for our attention. How can we encourage each other to put God to put God first? This is the conversation that we need to be having as a church all through this season of the pandemic. And this is the conversation that we're having together as a leadership. And this is a conversation that we'll be having in the months and months to come. And I, I want to share with you a little bit about of my heart. I, I am concerned. I am really troubled and I'm, and I'm worried. But this can be a moment when we rely on God all the more and we can draw together as a church even more intensely. Lord, have mercy on our church. Let's pray.